the biggest failures of the people that we meet in the Bible. And I love that because the expectation then is that we are not supposed to be perfect people. If you've come to church this morning thinking, oh, rubbish, these people were supposed to be the perfect people that I was going to learn from. I'm so sorry. Nobody in this room is perfect. Nobody has it all together. But thank God in our weakness, we are made strong in the Lord. And so we're going to be reading into that today. So let's dive in. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Um, and it's the very start of the letter. And a very short passage this week. Lord, would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to hear from you this morning. God, we want to be the kind of people who are hungry for inner change, for a deeper relationship with you, and hungry to be impacted in a way that the world knows about what you're doing in our lives. Please don't let us settle for anything short of the fullness of what you've got for us this morning, Lord. Amen. Uh, if you need a Bible, there's some on the ends of the rows here. If you pop your hand up, one will magically make its way along to you. If you've got it on your phone, that's brilliant too. But if you see somebody on your phone in front of you on Facebook, you've got full permission to put your hand up and be like, eh, this, this one here, not on the Bible app. <laughs> I'm just joking, kind of. <laughs> Today, um, we're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I was panicking when I first got this passage because I've never preached on two verses in my life before. Uh, and I thought Chuck was maybe joking, but he wasn't. And so we went back and actually there's tons of stuff in this. And there's one sentence in particular, this one little phrase that I want to focus in on today. And it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. By the will of God. I got really excited when I read that sentence because a whole bunch of questions started firing up in my mind like, what is the will of God? And how do I discover the will of God? And does everyone have a will from God? And uh, how, how do I go about walking out the will of God? And so today we're going to delve into this passage and ask some questions about what it looks like for us to walk in the will of God. And I think one of the first things that we can take from Paul's life and his example about walking in the will of God is that walking in the will of God is not always easy. The whole reason he's having to write this follow-up letter back to the church in Corinth is because a whole bunch of people within that church, a whole section, have turned their backs on him. They've decided actually that, that the teaching that he's bringing about the good news of Jesus is not for them. They want to go back to the traditional Jewish way of doing church. They want to go back to their, their belief system that's carried them for so long. And so they've said, actually, Paul, we don't want to hear that stuff anymore. We're going to go and do our own thing over here. This is not for us. You can do whatever you want, but we don't want to hear that. And please don't bring it here. They've turned their back on Timothy as well. They've said, look, Timothy, you're not welcome here. Just head off and do your own thing. We don't want to hear from you either. It's a reality check moment for the church in Corinth that walking in the will of God isn't guaranteed to be a really easy life or a really simple, straightforward task. It's not supposed to be a cakewalk. But actually, there's moments it can be really hard. There can be challenges, hardships, obstacles that have to be traversed. And I think that's why... Um, Walking in the will of God is so important. Knowing what the will of God in our lives is so important. Because 
if we don't know God's will for us, if we don't know what it is he's laid out in front of us, if we don't know what it is he's done for us and therefore what we can then go and do in his name, then the first time these hardships and troubles and toils and snares come along, we'll be really likely to be like, oh, actually, this is much harder than I thought it was. I'm not interested in the hard stuff. I'm going to go back uh, to my comfortable life. But I don't think God's calling us to comfortable lives. I think he's calling us to an adventure, not to settle for anything short of that. There's that famous motto, isn't there? Uh, If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Um, I think, obviously, many people will live by that motto. For me, it's been more like, if at first you don't succeed, it's probably not worth it, and you should just give up and go and try something else. Uh, When I was thinking about writing this talk, I can think of probably only three things in my life that I've tenaciously pursued start to finish. Uh, One was uh, learning how to play Knights of Sidonia by Muse on Guitar Hero. That was one. I did that all the way through to the finish. I made sure I got there. Uh, The second thing was pursuing my wife. Uh, I was really tenacious in pursuing my wife. Uh, There was many times where she was like, why don't we just hang out with friends? And why don't we... uh... Why don't we just take things a little bit slower? And I was like, no, we're going to get there. I'm going to pursue you into it. And eventually she realized how wonderful I was uh, and we got married. (laughs) And the final thing that I was tenaciously pursuing in my life was uh, laying laminate flooring in my house. The moment that that first bit of um, laminate flooring went down, I was like, this has to be finished. And the day that we did it, um, I did it in two sections. Ross actually helped me with a whole bunch of it. But the second day I was on my own in the living room uh, and I, so I started at seven o'clock in the morning. So I was like, I want to be done by lunch. Seven o'clock in the morning, five hours, done by lunch. Easy. Nine o'clock, haven't even finished laying the underlay yet. There's still stuff going down. The first board goes down at about maybe half past 10, 11 o'clock. And then it started. And I was like, I can do this. I can make this happen. So I kept on going. And then I started cutting the wrong end. I don't know if you've ever laid laminate flooring. There are two different ends to a bit of laminate flooring. There's a bit that clicks in and there's a bit that is the clicky bit that, that clicks into I kept cutting the wrong ends off them and I'd bring them in and I'd put them down. I'm like, oh, no, I've done it again. I'd march back outside and jigsaw another one off. I was cutting them short. It took me so long. 11 o'clock at night after many apologies to my neighbours for still jigsawing into the early hours, I finished the flooring. I think in this passage, we see that walking in the will of God requires a level of commitment and pursuit to see what we're doing right through to the finish. You know, if I'd stopped halfway through and just gone, actually, this is really hard, so I'm not going to do this. So we'll just kind of rearrange the furniture so that most of it sits on the bit that I've not floored, and then the bit that is floored, we can maybe put a rug on it or something like that. Nobody, like, that wouldn't fly, would it? Sarah would have been like, get back in there and finish that laminate flooring. Don't be so ridiculous. In the same way, Paul's... um, letter and this and this advice that he brings time and time again throughout this letter and his story in itself suggests that there's an element of uh, sold out pursuit that has to happen when we're following Jesus that actually when the hard stuff comes we walk in the will of God and it's not an easy walk it's not always a hard walk but it's not always an easy walk I think if Paul had been doing it in his own strength and not in, in the will of God the first time somebody beat him up for saying what he was saying, he would have been like, oh, actually, this isn't fun. Like, it was fun when I was preaching and everyone was clapping and cheering, but I've been beaten up for this now, so I'm not going to do this anymore. He would have been back to doing what he was doing before. The first time his life was threatened, can you imagine if he wasn't walking in the will of God and it was just him thinking it would be a nice idea to do something? The first time his life was threatened, he would have been like, no way am I doing this anymore. This has got much more serious than I ever intended it to get. I'm going to go back and do what I was doing before. But actually, he has this moment 
on the road to Damascus where Jesus intervenes in his life and says, Paul, you need to stop doing what you are doing and you need to come and tell the world about who I am. You need to know me, Jesus. And then he goes to this house and he's blind and this guy, Ananias, prays over him and he prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like he gets his heavenly mandate in those moments. And then from that moment forward, he doesn't look back. He's so certain of what God's called him to do and he's so certain of who Jesus is. He's met with the risen Jesus and he's been told what it is is, is the plan for his life. And so even when the hard moments come, he powers on through it. He keeps going. Even to the point of death, he keeps on going. He's certain of the call of God on his life. And I wonder if for some of us today, actually knowing the call of God, knowing the will of God for us personally, is something we're yet to discover. We're desperate to start doing something for God. We're desperate to, 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 to walk in the will, but we've just never, ever heard what that will is. And so there's a couple of things uh, that I would love to encourage you to do today if you're still yet to discover what is the will of God for my life. Number one is that we all have the same general call on our life. As people who follow Jesus, we're all in the same boat because Jesus says this. Um, it's, it's called the Great Commission. It's like his advice to his disciples just before he's about to head off. And he says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's a general call for us as Christians to, to impact this world with the good news of Jesus. As carriers of his grace, we then get to take that grace, that message of hope, that good news into every situation, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our neighbours, whether it's within our family, whether it's within uh, the people that we meet on the street, whether it's wherever we are, that we're called to take the good news of Jesus into those situations. Secondly, it's really easy to recognise the voice of God when you're spending time with God. It's much harder when we, we're trying to listen out for a voice that isn't familiar for us or that we don't really know at all. And so my encouragement is to be in the word, be in the Bible, spend time in solitude, spend time in prayer, listening for his voice. The more time we spend with him, the clearer that his voice becomes. And thirdly, when we're looking to hear the will of God in our lives, uh, very rarely have I heard anyone who is a Christian say, I regularly hear the audible voice of the Lord telling me where to go and what to do. Often for people, it's a, a sense of emotional connection with a place, a fluttering of the heart and a moment that just drives you. For me, um, one of the things was, I just remember having a time of prayer and just feeling like my heart was breaking for the people around about me. It wasn't that God said, uh, you have to go and love people or you have to go and become a pastor or you have to do this but it was just that sense of my heart's breaking and I need to do something for these people uh, who I'm living with see Paul is operating with a level of certainty that means he can push through challenges and obstacles even when he faced death he's still sure that he wants to walk in the will of the Lord he's sure that it's more fruitful to continue to pursue Jesus even in the hard moments than it is to go back to the, the easier life that he had before I guess this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth a heads up to say, guys, this isn't always going to be easy. And we see that in the world that we live in just now, don't we? Being a Christian is often not easy in the world we live in. For us, it probably gets as bad as ridicule and mockery. But across the world, there's people who are dying because they believe in Jesus. We look at Sri Lanka a couple of weeks ago. There's a whole bunch of people who were killed uh, in, in places of worship. It's not guaranteed to be an easy walk. I wonder 
if for some of us in the room, we know what God is calling us to do. We know what he's calling us to take part in. We know his will in our lives, but it's just felt so hard to do that thing, to get going, to take the first step, to move in the direction that he's calling us to go. I wonder if today might be a day where God's asking us to pick back up a calling in our lives, to pick back up something that he's called us to walk with him on and just run with him 100% on it again. I love this quote, I think, from A.W. Tozer, um, who's a famous theologian and preacher. He said this, I am thy servant to do thy will, and that will is sweeter to me than position or riches or fame, and I choose above all things on earth or in heaven. Walking in the will of God isn't always easy, but that's what we're called to do, to walk with him. Um, the second thing that we recognize about walking in the will of God is that it is not a solo endeavor. It's not a solo mission. We're not designed to do it on our own. It says this in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, he isn't doing it on our own. He's intentionally brought Timothy alongside him to walk with him, to do this journey with him, to carry some of the burden and the load. And it seems to me that there's two different parts to that relationship. One, uh, for Paul, it's companionship. It's someone to walk alongside him, to lighten the burden, to lighten the load of the, the tough stuff that Paul's carrying, the tough messages that he has to bring, the times where he's threatened, there's somebody there standing alongside him. When he's battered and bruised, there's someone to put an arm over his shoulder and carry him to the next church again as he's sure that he's supposed to be going on. But for Timothy, the relationship produces mentoring and teaching uh, and growth and leadership development for him. He, he gets to glean a bunch of wisdom and sage advice from Paul. He gets to be brought further in his journey towards Jesus by learning from someone who's gone before him. I think that walking in the will of God looks like walking beside one another. Um, I've walked the West Highland Way twice in my life, uh, one uh, with a really great level of success and one with a terrible degree of uh, failure. Um, the first time I did it, I went in a big group uh, with all my cousins and my uncles. There was maybe about 15 of us. And it was lovely. It felt like a real adventure. When you were tired, somebody would drop back and walk with you for a bit. When you had blisters, somebody would carry your pack for you who was doing a bit better. We all kind of helped each other out. There was lots of joking and singing and messing around. And it felt like not that big a challenge. We got there. It's a 90-mile walk for those of you. Has anyone walked the West Island Way before in the room? Nobody. Really suggest it. It's great fun. Uh, well, apart from the time where I did it the second time, which wasn't so much fun. Um, but that first time was lovely. It was like doing it alongside people. The second time I did it, I did it with me and one other guy, uh, my friend called Fergus, and we were trying to raise money to go on this mission trip we were going on. Uh, and on the first day, it rained the whole day. Uh, and my friend Fergus rolled his ankle about two hours into the 20-odd mile walk that we were doing that day. Uh, and he just complained about it the whole way there. He was like, this is so sore. Oh, I don't know if I can do this. And it like started to bring the mood down. And then there was a point where we kind of separated and walked like maybe 15 yards apart from each other because we weren't getting on very well. And it was just like this lonely trudge to that first night's campsite. And then we camped on that first night. We got there so late. We got there in the dark. We pitched our tent, went straight to bed. We woke up in the morning. Turns out we camped at the bottom of a hill and it had rained all night and we were floating on water in the morning. All our stuff was soaking. And so we put the packs back on again. We're walking and we're just like really not enjoying each other's company. Uh, and he's complaining and I'm like, stop complaining. And we got there three days in. He was like, I'm giving up. I can't do this on my own. And I was like, well, one of us is going to have to keep going. So I'm trying to go on on my own. And I was like, this isn't 
fun. I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. And I gave up too. It was horrible. I didn't enjoy it at all. It was such a different experience. I think one of the sweet things we see about this is that Paul having Timothy in his life with him was what made the burden lighter for him to carry. If he was just alone with his own thoughts, marching from one dysfunctional church to another to tell them what was going wrong and what needed to change and getting beat up and having his life threatened, I don't know that he would have made it as far as he did. But Timothy's there to spur him on in the lower moments, to challenge and encourage him, to to lift him up when his legs have been battered and bruised. And I wonder how many of us in the room today can empathize with Paul. Life is just a bit difficult and hard sometimes, isn't it? It's not always straightforward. Sometimes we have to uh, deal with work stress. Sometimes we have to look after sick parents or children. Sometimes we have to uh, deal with uncooperative and unfriendly people. Sometimes we have to uh, hear terrible news that we were never expecting to hear. And those things can totally fling us off walking in the will of God in those really tough and difficult moments. I think our natural reaction, if you're like me, is when the tough stuff comes is just to hide is to find somewhere to just be on my own, to to batten down the hatches and close all the doors and get the shutters closed and just sit and ride it out. We have a natural slant towards withdrawing. But I think that there isn't a time where we're called to back off the will of God. I don't think God ever says to us, hey, put my will down for a bit and you go and do your own thing. We'll pick this back up again in a couple of months. We're called to continue to drive on with him and I think what Paul is demonstrating here by bringing Timothy alongside him is a system that lets him keep going even in the toughest moments even when he's at his lowest point there's someone to walk alongside him to say hey we can do this Paul we can keep going we can make it to this next church we can survive one more beating we can get to where we need to go suddenly what was impossible for him to carry on his own becomes bearable because of the shoulders of another beside him carrying Guys, can I just encourage us today to invest in our relationship? Please don't take your friendships for granted. The people who we are doing life with are often the ones who will be the first ones to pick us up when we get floored by terrible news or the first ones to encourage us back towards Jesus when we've made terrible decisions or the first ones uh, to dust us off when we've been beaten up by life. Surround yourselves with trustworthy, fun, encouraging people. A pastor who's really friendly with our church was speaking recently about losing his wife and the important part that deep friendships played in seeing him through these darkest moments. And he put it like this. It's too late to build a storm shelter after the storm's hit. You can't build a storm shelter in the storm. You've got to do that beforehand. And so I'd encourage us, guys, can we be in brilliant and excellent relationships with one another? Invest in our friendships. Make time to grow those and grow the depth of those. Timothy, on the other hand, he's receiving something really different from the relationship. He's receiving a a mentoring and a a growth and a learning and and wisdom and advice from Paul that's causing him to be able to go further in his journey as a leader. For Timothy, he recognizes he doesn't know everything and actually Paul's wisdom and advice is something that he can really benefit from that will grow him as a leader moving forwards. I remember um, when I first became a Christian, I was still really learning what it was to 
live walking in the will of God. I say that as if I've really mastered walking in the will of God now. That's not the case. I'm just slightly less worse at it than I was at the start. Um, but back then, um, uh, I decided that it would be a great idea. I was like, I, I felt like I was in love with one of my close friends. I was like, this girl, we've known each other from school. It's going to be a really great idea to go out together. Uh, and I told my pastor about it. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. She's not a Christian, but I'm going to help her become a Christian. Like within a few weeks of dating me, there's no doubt that she'll see how great Jesus is through the way that, that I obviously carry myself. Uh, and it'll be brilliant. And I was really surprised to hear him say, I think that's a terrible idea. I don't think that's a good idea at all. And I was like, why not? This seems like a foolproof plan to me. This feels like the kind of thing that can't go wrong. And he started pointing out some of the flaws in my plans that, you know, that I was expecting someone to change before we'd even started the relationship. And, and that there was a whole bunch of stuff that I hadn't dealt with myself that I should probably deal with before getting into a relationship with anyone. And I was like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I asked her out the next day, basically, after that. Um, and it went really badly wrong. Uh, about a month into the relationship, it all ended. It was uh, not nice. It ended really badly. We didn't get on with each other. It caused a big rupture in like, our friend group. It was messy. I am... Um, I was so sure of my own judgment and so blinded by my own selfishness that I couldn't hear the wise words that were being spoken into my life. Can I encourage us today, no matter how old we are or how long we've been in the game or how long we've been Christians, can you surround yourself with people who will speak wise advice into your life? There are so many people in this room who have walked a walk with Jesus for many years and who've learned a bunch of things and who've made a bunch of mistakes and if you're a young person in this room today I would really encourage you to look around just now and find somebody who looks a little bit older than you and a little bit further down the road and just go and say to them hey can I can I come and hang out and have dinner with you at some point in the next couple of weeks I would love to hear about the lessons you've learned in life I would love to hear about how you parent I would love to hear about uh, how you've kept a faith for 40 years there is so much wisdom in this room please don't take it for granted. Walking in the will of God is not supposed to be a solo endeavor. Um, for our older, wiser crew, I'm not going to look at anyone in particular when I say that. I'll just sort of aim at the ceiling. And you can decide whether you're in the older, wiser crew or not. Can I just encourage you to be really open-handed with the wisdom and experience you've gleaned from walking with the Lord over these last few years? What a chance you guys have to leave an incredible legacy in the next generation of leaders by uh, helping them learn from the mistakes you've made and helping them uh, pick up some of the amazing habits that you've picked up and helping them to understand what it is to, to love well and to be generous and to be kind and to be uh, the kind of uh, model of Jesus' love in this world that makes a difference. Finally, walking in the will of God is 100% worth it. There's a sentence at the start of this passage that says, to the church, of God and Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. And that may seem like a bit of a throwaway sentence. It might just seem like Paul saying, hey everyone, it's me, Paul again, just coming back to you with a second letter. But I'd love to take us back quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1, where he introduces himself to the church like this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our I'm going to say, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Did you spot the difference there? In the first letter, he's purely addressing it to the church in Corinth. In the second letter, he says to all the people in Corinth, but then also all the people who are, know Jesus throughout the whole region of Achaia. Uh, Achaia is a, a part of Greece. Uh, it stretches all the way around to Athens. 
And so what we're seeing between this first and second letter is what was just in a little hub in Corinth, the good news that had been taken to Corinth and people had started to hear the good news there, is now spreading out across the region. There's been fruit, there's been multiplication. People who didn't know about Jesus now know about Jesus. The work that taught, that uh, Paul and Timothy are putting in, even though it's arduous and difficult and life-threatening and dangerous, there's fruit there. It is fruitful work. As people are encountering the living Jesus through encountering his followers, that good news is spreading from town to town, village to village, city to city, because it's a good news that can't be contained. It's, it's such good news. Jesus died on a cross to save ourselves from, from, our great, from, our, from our greed and from our shame and from our sins. There was suddenly grace, grace so that we could be free to have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the best news that there ever has been. And suddenly, because of their bravery and the, the fact that they were willing to walk in the will of God and the difficult stuff, they start to see that fruitful message transforming a whole region. Some of you uh, may be too young to remember this, but when I was 15 years old, something amazing happened to our world. Um, before there was ever such a thing as an iPhone X, uh, there was the original iPod. Uh, hands up if you had an original iPod in the room. Yes, come on. Some of you are like, what is an iPod? I've never heard of such a thing. Basically, an iPod was an iPhone without the phone, camera, uh, apps, uh, anything really apart from the music. You could store your music on it. Up until this point, we'd all been walking around with CD players in our pockets or tape players in our pockets. That was what happened. And then suddenly there was this thing called an iPod where you could have every CD that you owned in your pocket. It was it was like wizardry. Nobody knew what it was. And I was like, and instantly at the age of 15, I was like, I need one. I need an iPod in my life. The problem for me was I was earning £25 a week working in a garage fixing things and mopping up diesel spills and putting chemicals in a car wash. Um, and, and an iPod, I think I remember it, it cost about £350. So I was like, there's a long wait to be had here. And so every week, my friends would go to McDonald's at school and I would bring my own sandwiches with me and I was saving money there. And then they'd be like, we're all going to the cinema at the weekend. And I'd be like, nah, you guys are all right. You go ahead. And I saved and I saved and I saved. And then shamefully my grand died and left me a hundred pounds and that hundred pounds was the last hundred pounds that I got towards my iPod I don't know what everyone else spends their inheritance money on but that was mine uh, I spent it on an iPod I had 250 pounds I finally had enough to buy an iPod it took me over five months to save up enough money I worked so hard for it and that first moment where I stepped out with with that iPod in my hands and every song that I owned on CD suddenly in my hands ready to listen to at any given time I was like worth it the sandwiches they were worth it missing the cinema it was worth it i can shuffle my music i can be listening to i can be listening to dance music one second and classical music the next second this was worth it in the same way paul is discovering how worth it walking in the will of god is he's had to sacrifice a lot he's had to endure a lot he's had to put himself at the very bottom of the pecking order in order to see the good news flourish. And now he's starting to see some of the fruit of his labor as the good news of Jesus spreads from Corinth into the surrounding region. People who were lost in their sin and shame have found grace in Jesus and a love for him because of what they've done for him. Generosity and kindness and love are being demonstrated and then replicated throughout the region as people come to know a Jesus who transforms lives. There is fruit from the labor it was so worth it 
he endured beatings and mockery and threats upon his life. But it was worth it because of the fruitful partnership that he's created with the Lord and seen the good news spread throughout that whole region. He has used his faithful obedience. The Lord used his faithful obedience and turned it into fruitful multiplication. And I wonder for us today if we know that walking in the will of God is worth it. How much easier can it be for us to stray from that will and to have quick, uh, satisfying victories that last for moments but actually are not the will of God? It's so much easier to walk uh, the really wide and easy path that the enemy would lie before us and say, just go and do that. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's much harder to say, actually, I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to walk with the Lord in a way that doesn't let all that other stuff in. But it's worth it. And it's so easy to give up when we don't see instant results. To pray for somebody for a couple of weeks and be like, oh, nothing's changed. I'm just going to stop praying for them. Because you're obviously not doing anything, God. I'm doing my bit. I'm praying for a couple of weeks and you've done nothing. But walking in the will of God is walking in the long haul. I think about my life sometimes and how easily I get drawn into six hours of box set watching <laughs> and how, how I get caught dreaming about a bigger home and a nicer car and nicer clothes and uh, an adventurous holiday. And those are not all bad things. They're lovely things. But ultimately, they aren't kingdom-bringing things. They aren't world-transforming things. Walking in the will of God brings with it a fruitfulness. And I wonder if we asked God the question this morning, God, how can I walk more in your will? I wonder what his answer would be. C.S. Lewis has this quote, he says, to walk out of his will is to walk into nowhere. So can I urge us this morning, if we feel that little tug of God pointing us in a new direction, if we feel that little call from him to pick something up and run with it with all we have, if we feel him, uh, saying, guys, don't be distracted by the peripheral stuff, but get right on the walk with me and watch what I can do with the little that we are able to bring. Are we ready to do that? Why don't we stand and we'll pray together.